You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. This is our 339th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a non-ALK brand ambassador and award-winning bartender, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. Please note, for my regular listeners, we had a little schedule change. So Ben Leventhal, the founder and CEO of Blackbird Labs, Inc., he will now be coming on the show on November 30th. So stay tuned for that. And now, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be open to new ideas. Let's not limit ourselves to doing things one way or our way, and instead be willing to try new experiences, new tastes, new products, new destinations, and more, even if it's just one time. It's good to take ourselves out of our usual routines and, comf- and comfort zones and experience different things, as it may not only lead to newfound discoveries, but it can expand our minds and understanding of others and be empowering. So let's remember to always say yes and be open-minded. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm very happy to have my guest joining me. It is Aria Acheta. She is an, an ambassador for Diageo non-ALK brands, Central Region, and she's an award-winning bartender who has lived all over the world and found her home in hospitality. With a global perspective and unparalleled storytelling abilities, Aria connects her curiosity to a deeper sense of service. Her international background fuels an innate sense of community, building everywhere she goes. She strives to be impactful, passionate, and of course, make good drinks great. Without further ado, hi, Aria. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm very (laughs) excited to talk with you about your career and everything non-ALK and beyond. So... um, (laughs) I always like to start with my guests and find out about their background and what led them into this hospitality industry. So do you want to take us back a little bit? I would love to. I, I'd like to say that it all started with um, my passion for horses, which is oh. kind of a funny, funny statement. But um, I grew up riding when I was really young, started when I was five years old and eventually got my own horse. And that sort of triggered this very strong work ethic. I remember after high school, I would ride 
five horses a day trying to pay for my horseback riding lessons when I was young. And I sort of kept that up, bought my own horse and had that extra responsibility that I needed to pay for and feed and buy tack for um, and, and also train. So um, that led me into uh, working when I was 14. Um, and then when I turned 18 in Wisconsin, that's legal to uh to be employed behind a bar at the age of 18. And that's where it all began for me at a steakhouse called Fields of the Wilderness. Um, so I've been in this industry for, for over 10 years, which is kind of wild. Um, but where did you grow up? Was- I grew up, well, my parents were missionaries. So our home base was between Wisconsin Dells and Hawaii. My dad lived on Maui um, after my parents separated. But prior to that, we traveled all over the world to Germany, to Amsterdam. We lived in Australia. Um, and that sort of just really inspired me to take in all the information and knowledge of of people and ingredients and different cuisines. Uh, and just to stay really curious about about the world. Wow. Yeah. Well, your bio said you had a lot of international experience. <laughs> yeah. certainly, certainly do. So, so what was it about bartending that got you hooked? Um, was it was it the the money it brought in to <laughs> help, yeah. help pay for for your horse, which is very cool. You're my first guest, I think, that's ever talked about um, having their own horse and and being so passionate <laughs> about horse riding. So. Yeah, I mean, it started off that way. I think, you know, it was all, everything kind of fell into, um, into place. Um, my best friend's um, steakhouse was hiring for a bartender uh, um, almost the same week that I had the thought cross my mind. And I just always loved, you know, I always romanticized the bartender. I think people do because... They're full of his like history and stories, and they have all of this experience. Usually, they're, you know, musicians or actors or artists or you know photographers that just you know need need a job to pay the bills that's flexible enough for their gigs. But um, I always always just romanticize the bartender, and and then I became one, and um, and I it, it was a mixture of of everything, right? It paid the bills. But I got to learn about so many people and hear so many people's stories. I mean, I feel like I've met like, you know, tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand people uh, being behind the bar. So it's it's just a very special, special place um, for for the curious minded, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so when did you move to Chicago? I moved here about five years ago, six years ago, um, kind of on a whim from Milwaukee. I I was bartending my way through college there. I got a degree in biology, which I have used in some ways, but not directly uh, (laughs) in the way I think it's intended. But um, I moved here and I went to acting school and uh, opened a couple of bars down here, worked with Caitlin Lehman of Trick Dog. She won... um, uh, um, a couple of accolades as well. So she was she was a very important mentor in my life. And then um, I ended up working at Cindy's Rooftop Bar in Chicago, which um, nets $22 million a year 
um, at least when I was working there. So it's a very fast paced environment with, with really quality craft cocktails. So I got a lot, a, a lot out of Chicago when I moved here. Amazing. So I lived in Chicago from 1995 to 98 um, after I graduated from college. And so I, I have, I'm familiar a bit. Um, it's The scene has changed a lot. And I actually worked in restaurants. I worked at, I was an office manager at Rock Bottom Brewery, which is still there. Yes. And um, I worked at BW3 as a bar manager. So, um, I mean, it was a long time ago and the scene has changed so much. Um, but it's uh, and I love going back and 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 seeing the new restaurants and bars and everything happening there. It's a very right. exciting city. The heart of Chicago has not changed. Yeah, yeah. Except like the West Loop didn't exist when I lived there. So. Yeah, that I mean that has changed for sure. The yeah. West. That's yeah. it's actually where I live. I'm I'm in the in the heart of all the hustle and bustle and all of the new trending restaurants and. It's very exciting. Nice, yeah. There's so there's so many great restaurants there now, and um, it's, yeah, it's a great place to live. So, when did you get involved with Diageo and and come on board as an ambassador? It's interesting. There were actually a couple of brands that had approached me by this point, um, and I there wasn't anything that was really aligning with sort of what I wanted to do with. Um, as I transitioned from working behind the bar to um, to another another space within the industry, and then it was almost like I don't know. People describe these moments as like fate or something, but it was. I got an email in my um, in my inbox from LinkedIn saying. Um, Seedlip was hiring a brand ambassador, and I was like, "Oh, I've used Seedlip. I know Seedlip." and they have such, you know, our, I think our ethics and values sort of aligned in a way where I was like, I could see myself representing this brand uh, in, a, in a very positive way. And um, I ended up getting the job. So I worked with Seedlip prior to Diageo and then uh, we merged last year. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Amazing. So what was it about working with Seedlip? And, and for people, I mean... Explain a little bit what Seedlip is because it's it's a non-alcoholic brand and that maybe not I don't know if all bartenders or all everyone would would be as enthused let's say to to work with such a brand. I mean, I don't I don't drink alcohol, so for me I completely get it. <laughs> but um talk a little about what Seedlip is. A few things, yeah. Um, so it's the number one best-selling and number one most award-winning non-alcoholic spirits, um, and I, 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 I'm so happy to be able to say that, which because it means that this category is has expanded enough where, you know, these all of these brands are you know really enthused and and backing up these incredible this incredible opportunity in space and area of growth in the fastest growing sector of the drinks business so it wasn't always that way and it's definitely changed over the years i mean even since i've started working the general perception of non-alc has has just changed enormously um, and it's just great to have so many people back it up um, but for me it was 
you know, at, at the point when I started, when I started with Seedlip, uh, my mom hadn't drank in 30 years and my sister was pregnant with her second child. So yeah. the two yeah. most people who are closest to me, you know, I, I just had so much empathy and compassion for, you know, that side of uh, that area of the business um, just because I, I was so close to it. And, and I just, I think in the non-elk, it's, it requires so much advocacy of people who are in the business, who want to drink moderately, who are looking for these sophisticated and adult options that have beautiful flavor profiles. I mean, Seedlip has three expressions. And when I open a bottle of Garden 108, it's like, it's it's so verdant. It just it smells like the way you imagine, you know, the rainforest smells. Just the dewy uh, greenery, and uh, it, it's so verdant. You open it, and I I know exactly what the flavor profile is. It's so distinct and unique. I and and to be able to talk about flavors like that in the non-alk is just so special. Um, it wasn't always that way with you know sparkling grape juice as much as I love it and have loved it since I was a kid. It, it just doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always cut it for the sophisticated drinker. Oh, trust me. I know. <laughs> and I'm sure you're well-versed in bad, yeah. non-elk well, drinks. <laughs> I, I am. Well, I dine out a lot too. And it's been, I mean, talking about the movement or what's been happening in the industry. I mean, in this past year, I would say now when I'm dining at a restaurant, I look at the cocktail menu. If I'm not seeing a, a little zero proof section of, you know, two, three drinks. I'm feeling this restaurant or bar is missing the boat because mm-hmm. it, people are getting on board of this low, low ABV, no alk um, drinks. And it's become a trend that I hope, and I think it's here to stay, but 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, it was not the same thing. And, mm-hmm. um, and Seedlip certainly, changed changed i think people's perspective and it was such a you know unique product to to come out on the on the market and now i know it's developed so much with with their offerings i mean um i was just exploring the website and it's it's there's i mean do you want to talk a little bit about about the different the different um selections Right. So we touch base on um the garden 108 um which has English peas, which I think is so unique. It's they're inspired by um, Ben Branson, who is the founder. His he has a 350 year um, background in family farming um, history. So he has this very close connection with nature, which is part of the reason why I resonated so much with the brand um, and his his. On his father's side, he has um, a um, his father has a design company, and that's award winning in um, New York. And he uh, designed the labels for Seedlip, which are also award winning um, labels. And they all have um, animals that are from Ben Branson's um, farm, or that can be found in the English countryside. So there's a squirrel, there's the hare, um, and they're all sort of just drawing back the story to, um, to, 
a little town in Lincolnshire, um, England. Very cool. Um, yeah, the the labels are are really nice. They're they're yes, it catches your eye. And so, what um, as a brand ambassador, what does what does that entail? Like, what do you what do you do? <laughs> right, I know. I think every time I go back to uh, my hometown, everybody asks me that question. It sounds kind of made up, right? But. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, I've always thought being a brand ambassador is like a very cool title. Like I love it as a title. Um, But yes, it's one of those, what does that mean? What is, what exactly does a brand ambassador do? Right. So it's a little different um, depending on what company or agency you work for. So for example, I work, so I'm, I'm basically in trade marketing. So I work for a marketing agency and my title is um, I'm a regional brand amb- ambassador for the central region of the U.S. So I have many different markets, um, Wisconsin, Colorado, um, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky. Those are all sort of under my umbrella of um, handling both educations, um, what we call GSMs, which are um, sales meetings for our distributors who sell um, our Diageo products. So we work closely with them on um, partnerships and um, sort of incentives and just gaining enthusiasm for both the category and the brands. I work directly with a lot of Michelin star restaurants, um, restaurants, James Beard award-winning restaurants to get them inspired and um, get them equipped with sort of like recipes and, um, and programming within their bars and restaurants. So we'll do like like farm to table dinners with non-alcoholic cocktail pairings and um, and things like that. So it's you wear a lot of hats, you know. One day you're a photographer um, and a creative director, and the next, you know, you're hitting the ground running, driving to you know 15 binnies in a day. So <laughs> it's 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 very exciting and it changes all the time, but it's it's a great role. Yeah, well, it sounds a little like being a publicist. Same and different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Of, <laughs> every day's a little different. Wear a lot of hats. Yeah. So, what about what about recipes with with Seedlip? Do you? Because I was uh, I was looking around on Diageo Bar Academy's website, and there are a lot of really well thought out, wonderful recipes for. NA cocktails on the on the site with using mm-hmm. Seedlip. Right. There's, I mean, we have some wonderful options on seedlipdrinks.com. One of my favorite cocktails that I've had or made um, was a, a Seedlip Garden 108 cocktail um, with passion fruit um, and served as a daiquiri. So it sort of reminded me when I used to live on Maui with my dad, we would horse it because um, he knew how much I loved horses and we would watch the neighbor's horses and we would saddle them up and um, not pack a lunch and <laughs> walk around these beautiful properties. The farmers would just let us ride wherever and we would pick 
lilacoy from from the trees and break them in half and suck out the seeds for lunch. And it was this very sweet memory with my dad. And um, so being able to corp- incorporate that memory into a cocktail, I, I just think it's, it's very special. So um, yeah, having those, the flavors that evoke memories in drinks, I think is, is so, so fun and interesting. And um, yeah, you can find a lot of great recipes on seedlipdrinks.com. Awesome. Oh, that's, I mean, your story is, is, it's very, it's very sweet. I love it. Yeah. And what about, what about, um, things on with master classes and things that, that Diageo Bar Academy is, is doing? I, I actually, in my, I saw there's something coming up also with, um, Ben Branson on a class about all you need to know about low and no ABV. Uh, drinks. So are you, are you involved with the master classes? So I will train some of the presenters that are speaking on behalf of Diageo brands um, on the brand story itself. Uh, so for this one, this, this will be available 24 um, seven on diageobaracademy.com. So you'll always, you'll have access to it um, uh, around the clock. Um, so I am told Good to know. Mm-hmm. And what about, I mean, we're talking, and I, I mean, I'm so pro non-alcoholic drinks and, and, and I'm in the, I'm in the very, you know, open-minded receiving end of all this, but I'm wondering if there's, if, is there any pushback on it or people who aren't as open-minded? I mean, part of my tip today came from that notion of just being, thinking like, you know, maybe if you don't, you know, you you've never had or, you know, uh, tried C-Lip or something else. Like you should, like it's worth trying, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to drink it always, but I think it's good to try different things. But do you find as a brand ambassador, um, people are resistant at all to low or no alk? You know, the... Um, the culture has changed quite a bit. I, I found a lot of pushback in the beginning. Um, and now what I hear more of is, oh yes, my beverage director has been on me to get something on menu that's non-alcoholic. So we get actually a lot more of that, just being that reminder and being, you know, the advocate for the non-drinker. Um, now than what we what we've ever had in the past. So I I feel like it's just very cool to be in an industry that's growing that quickly, where you can see that change in just a couple of years. So a lot a lot more positive reception now. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm not I'm not surprised, and I like that. Uh, it's good that it's going in that direction versus mm-hmm. the other direction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Lots, lots more. You know, as you said, keeping your mind open to new, to new perspectives yeah. and new ideas. Yes. And is there anything on the horizon, like new products coming out with the Seed Lips working on? Fingers crossed. Next year we will have an agave spirit in the works for sure. It's just a matter of, of getting it sort of in production and, um, and sending it over to the U S. All right. I like Mm -hmm. it. Look, something to look forward to. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and what I always like to find out like with people with what they do for a living, like how, 
what's your advice for aspiring brand ambassadors, someone who wants to do what you do? Is there is there some advice you have to go to to get to where you're at or to to do yeah. a, be a brand ambassador for, you know, a similar yet different company? I think it's just being in the right rooms. So being at as many events as you can, um, getting yourself known, putting yourself out there, throwing yourself into situations of presentation and, and getting in front of people that um, are big influencers in this industry is probably the best um, you can really you can really do and start developing those relationships early on because that's really you know what I do so much of is developing relationships with your distributors with you know your teammates with um, other other brands people and sort of just getting in and getting to know people and observe and listen and be eager and know that you know you don't know it all and and we don't know it all and, and there's always something more to learn. That is great advice. Awesome. (laughs) And on that note, let's take a little break and we will come back and we'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience this week and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Want to try your hand at the biggest bartending competition in the world? The November 15th application deadline is quickly approaching for the 2023 season of USBG Presents World Class, sponsored by Diageo. World Class US is more than a competition. It offers a great opportunity for cocktail enthusiasts of all skill levels and backgrounds to test themselves, join a community of industry professionals from around the world and ultimately become a stronger bartender. The global finals for this year just wrapped up in Sydney, Australia, and next year's finals will be happening in Sao Paulo, Brazil. DiageoBarAcademy.com hosts Best in Class, educational content from world-class studios and application details. This is the biggest competition in the industry and applications are open to all hospitality professionals age 21 and over. DiageoBarAcademy.com has all the resources you need to prepare yourself to be a world-class bartender. Whether you are a seasoned bartender or just getting started in your career, visit DiageoBarAcademy.com and click on the World Class tab for more information. Again, that's diageobaracademy.com, D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Must be 21 or over, and please drink responsibly. Thank you. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Aria Acheta. She is an ambassador for Diageo non-alk brands in the central region. And Aria, it is time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm, ready. I'm, I'm excited. I feel like I'm a little nervous. 
don't be nervous. It's just a game. There's no <laughs> rules. There's no just right or wrong. Um, it's fun. It's fun. I, it's, I always I like hearing people's responses. So, okay. All right. Tag me in. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Oh, I haven't had a home-cooked meal in so long. So I'm going to say eat in. Okay. How about indoor dining or alfresco dining? Ooh, alfresco. Yeah, when you can get it in Chicago. <laughs> when you can get it. I know. Patios are booked in the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. How about wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Ooh, I do love champagne, um, but I will have to say non-alcoholic cocktail. <laughs> yes, I know nobody likes mocktail as a, a word, but <laughs> it rhymes and it kind of easier to flow in my game. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're kind of we're like we used to be really hardcore about the term mocktail. Like it was very intense, and I think we've opened our our minds a little bit to the idea because it is very accessible. Everybody knows that term. So yeah, everybody knows the term, but in my not I mean I, I shouldn't speak for the world saying no one likes it, but generally speaking, yeah. I found that most people don't like the term. Yeah, I, I try not to use it. Yeah. <laughs> Just to okay. face, you know? well, I might still might still switch that up for yeah. future games. We'll see. We'll okay. see. We'll come up with a better name. Yes, yes. Well, actually, looking at menus, I love seeing the creativity with, I mean, from zero proof or um, spirit for spiritless or I don't know, there's different things. Yeah, but. temperance, I love. Just, yeah. There's a lot of really cool ones out there. I like to I like to see how creative people can get. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it is cool. So we'll see mm -hmm. how creative I can get. Yes. Okay, <laughs> so we'll keep going. Um, tasting menu or a la carte? Hmm. I say a la carte. Okay. Small plates or large plates? Ooh, I would say large plates, but still share. Cool. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Yeah. Tipping. Shaken or stirred? I love a stirred drink. <laughs> cool. Okay, a few more. Negroni Spagliotto, Espresso Martini, or we have the Negroni and Espresso Martino. Ooh, I love a Negroni Spagliato for sure. But I, I hope think... I said it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Italian. I know. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. Okay. <laughs> I would say I forget the options now. I well, do I love a Negroni though. Martini or the the virgin or the non-alk ones of these. Okay. Um, I do love a really good Negroni and no groni. I like I like seeing that challenge executed well. Yeah, yeah. I love I love that we have all these options. I know. Okay, my last two. I got cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn or Chicago? Hmm. Let's go Manhattan. Fabulous. 
When was the last time you were here? I was there for media training last uh, month in October. Oh, recently. <laughs> yes, very recently. I went to Maison Premier, which is one of my favorite places. Oh, that's a good one. So good. good. Those oysters. Those, those oysters. <laughs> the, that seafood tower. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. I'm so due to go back there. Um, mm-hmm. You must. I'll live vicariously through you. (laughs) (laughs) I am through you right now. Um, Fair enough. (laughs) Well, fabulous. That's that's the game. You did great. I'm not surprised at all. Woo! (laughs) Um, So so for industry news this week, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times, and it's entitled, Can the Most Hated Meal Be Redeemed? The Big Brunch Says Yes. Contempt for brunch is persistent, but a new show on HBO Max approaches the meal with ambition and optim- optimism. This is by Tajal Rayo. Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting. I, I mean, you know, we talk about people don't like the term mocktails. A lot of people don't like the term or the activity of brunch, meaning chefs <laughs> and people who work in restaurants and kitchens. Um it seemed it's over the years been an unpopular shift to work. And in this article, it talked about how Will Gr- William Grimes in the New York Times wrote how chefs hate brunch. Um, and Anthony Bourdain had had written uh, the B word, the dreaded B word for all dedicated <laughs> cooks. And um, so it's interesting. And then this new show that's coming out is all about brunch. And it's. Um, it's it's actually it's debuting tomorrow. I saw so. Um, anyways, I don't know. I thought it would be interesting, kind of talk about brunch with you. What's your? You have any? You have any take? What's my take? <laughs> I love this subject. Okay, <laughs> like, good. <laughs> I do because when I worked at Cindy's, I loved the eight a.m. bartender shift, which I know sounds crazy, but the quiet of a Sunday morning in downtown Chicago was magical and it overlooks the lake. So you have, it's like the world is asleep and you're the only one up kind of like, you know, the bartender that's, that's working until 5am, but you know, this one's a little more, a little more controlled. I think (laughs) as long as you have the Saturday AM shift and the Sunday AM shift, it can be quite magical to have your own, your own world. It feels like where you're the only one awake in the entire city. But what about when the shift starts? <laughs> the sh- when the shift starts, yes. As long as it gradually begins and you don't yeah. have a line out the door, it's it's okay. It's right when the clock struck 10 and we had, you know, 30 people yeah. in line. That was always a little a little tough. Yeah. But but I I mean you get done early. You start early, yeah. you get done early, right? I, I guess I haven't been on the line cooking poached eggs and perfecting a soft scrambled egg. So, I mean, Bloody Marys were a two-touch cocktail. And that was a little easier. Yes. And actually, my solo dining experience coming up, I'm a, I had a, it includes a Virgin Bloody Mary, which is is still probably for me my favorite and a mocktail cocktail because in a sense I don't think it I don't think it is any different than a regular I mean because you typically don't taste vodka 
but, or maybe right. so, um, but I'll get to that. But anyways, um, yeah, you're beautiful. The, the starting your, it sounds very beautiful. The morning shift, <laughs> very romantic, romantic side thing, sort of that. And, and, and lovely. Um, yes. I think I, from my experience, I've worked as a, as a waitress or server during a brunch shift and it's, busy. It's crazy. But you also, mm-hmm. you make, you make good money um, mm-hmm. on the plus side. But I think it's, it's a hard, it's a very demanding job um, to be a line cook, I think during it. And, and actually this article touched upon, uh, there was a little side note of this whole thing that happened with Balthazar and it went viral with Keith, Keith McNally posted on Instagram, how uh, the late show host uh, James Corden had come in and um, had an issue with his omelet and was apparently rude to some of the servers. And it's this whole story that that he posted just on Instagram and it, it literally went viral around the world um, with press. Uh, did you see this? Oh, wow. I, oh, I didn't see this. this. No, <laughs> I, I'm out of the, the viral game, I guess. <laughs> it was picked up. I mean, it's in, this is a New York Times story. It's in the New York Times. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. it was really, um, it went back and forth with apologies and, and between the two of them. And I won't, I won't go into the details, but it was, it was about, it, it started apparently over, over an issue with, um, uh, his, his, his wife's eggs. So mm. during brunch at Balthazar, which Balthazar is fantastic, huge, very busy restaurant. So who I knows how many, how many omelets they're doing a day. Uh, but I'm sure it's a lot. Was it a, was it a burnt omelet situation? No, it was something, it was, it was interesting. Cause it's the, I think the post said something that um, there was uh, it was like there was an issue with having egg white in an all egg yolk omelet, but it was sort of seemed like maybe it was a, it was really supposed to be it was like an egg white omelet and there was little yolk in it. There was something about that that wasn't completely clear whether it was supposed to be egg whites, all egg whites or all egg yolks, but um, that was the issue. Yeah, I mean, I I would definitely say that there should be a little bit of grace. Uh, during yeah. busy front shifts, maybe anywhere you go. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and this new show coming out, The Big Brunch, is um, it's created by Danny Levy, who's from Shit's Creek TV show, which is hugely popular. And one of the judges mm-hmm. is Will Cadera. The other one is Sola L. Whaley. Why? Well, I, I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, and it should be, I think it should be a fun competition show. So we'll see, we'll see. It's, um, it's eight, eight shows, a part of the series that I think, I think are all dropping tomorrow. Mm, cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I don't know if brunch perspective will, will change from this show, but I do know, <laughs> I do know though, New Yorkers are being living here. Brunch is very popular. People, you know. People love it. I think it's typically more of on the later side, at least that's what I find in, in the city. But right, right. I mean, I, I'm definitely a proponent of the 1 p.m. brunch. 
That's for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm like the 2 p.m. brunch. Yeah. I'm late. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get up early on my own. I won't make all my friends get up early with me. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. So that's the news. Stay tuned for that show. And it looks it looks good. Okay. Nice. So my solo dining experience this week, I was out in the West Coast. So this week it's at Zuni Cafe. <gasps> Love their Zuni chicken. Oh my gosh. Oh, I well, made that guess, guess what I got. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, so here we go. Got it. The location, 1658 Market Street, the edge of Civic Center in Hayes Valley in San Francisco. The concept, it's a bustling bi-level bistro. It's famous for its roast chicken and other seasonal wood-fired eats. Um, it has a daily changing menu that's seasonally inspired. It uses a lot of organic or seasonal organic ingredients. It's saying um, nearly all the produce, meat, and fish is farmed or harvested in a sustainable manner. Um, and it incorporates traditional French and Italian cuisine. The owner is Gilbert Pilgrim, and the current executive chef is Anne Alvaro. So why did I go? Well, this is an iconic spot in San Francisco. I had been once many years ago, but I just felt like I was due to go back. So I went back. My experience. So I actually had a reservation for two. I don't think the system took reservations for one. So I showed up one. They were cool with me being there solo. Um, they sat me at a nice two-top in the back room. They actually turned the table the long way, the two-top, so I had a little more space. Um, the space is a lot of natural light, and I was near the windows. So it was really lovely. It was on a little banquette. And it was really the one of the most leisurely lunch or brunches, I would say, that I've had a long time. I mean, I was there a while, I'll tell you. I mean, you, to order the chicken, you got to wait for the chicken. Um, but I just loved it. I had a really nice time. So what did I get? Well, I ordered a, a Bloody Mary. I didn't realize a Virgin Bloody Mary. I didn't realize that they had two choices. So first, they I tried the one... Uh, it's a virgin balsamic Bloody Mary and had six-year-old balsamic in it. And I liked it. I was drinking it. Um, but my server sort of thought maybe, I don't know, I, that he's like, Do, would you rather have the classic? Because I think it's a very distinct flavor to have this um, balsamic in it. So he ended up bringing me the virgin Bloody Mary classic. So I tried them both and they were both they were both fabulous. Um and then I overordered. I got the Zuni Caesar salad and I got the chicken for two because it only comes chicken for two roasted in wood fired brick, uh, brick, uh, roasted in the wood fired brick oven. It has a warm bread salad with scallions, garlic and bitter greens. Takes 60 minutes, they say, to come to your table because they make it to order. And I also ended up getting a small shoestring potatoes just because every table around me had the, these shoestring potatoes. And I thought I had to get the big, huge plate of it, but I got a little, little plate of it. So that was that was good. I still didn't finish it all. Um, my take: delicious. Love the Bloody Marys. Love the Caesar salad. It's just really crisp lettuce, yummy croutons and dressing. And there's a reason this roast chicken is so famous. It's it's just a delicious roast chicken. And of course I had leftovers because I could not eat a whole chicken, but um, I ate, uh, I had a thigh, I had some of the legs, I had the part of the salad, the shoestring fries. It was a great meal. And again, it was like very leisurely. I was there for a while and, and it didn't feel like anyone was rushing me or any of the tables out. So the ambiance, it's this triangular 1913 building. It's kind of narrowish, uh, in the front room, and it leads to a little back room. It has exposed wick, 
exposed brick walls and lots of windows facing the street. Um, so a lot of light and good energy in the space. And it's casual. It's casual, but it's like modern at the same time. Um, it's just a good spot. I'd say it's perfect for a leisurely lunch with friends. Interesting tidbit. Zuni was originally found in 1979 by Billy West, who partnered with the late Judy Rogers. She passed away in 2013, and she's credited for what Zuni is today with its menu. And the restaurant has won James Beard Foundation Awards for Outstanding Restaurant in 2003 and Outstanding Service in 2018. Personal fun fact. Okay, so... Of course, I had a lot of great meals while I was in San Francisco. Other places I went, Mr. Jews, Kefiko, Nopa, Burma Superstar, Bee Patisserie, Tartine Bakery, Waypoint and Tacos Oscar in Oakland, and my favorite spot always, Swan Oyster Depot. The cost of my meal at Zuni was $140. Yes, I, I splurged. And it was worth it for me. Um, that mm-hmm. is including tax. It's including 20% fair wage gratuity that they put on the bill. And it's including a 5% SF employee mandate, which is, I noticed on all the San Francisco restaurants I went to, they have an employee mandate included in the check. But I go back, yes. And their website is zunicafe.com, Instagram at zunicafe. There you go. That's the rundown. Um, so Aria, you've obviously been there. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, no, I haven't. Oh, no. But, I, but I have cooked their chicken. Oh. Three-day dry brined, but it's so worth it. Wow. I'm impressed you've mm-hmm. done that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was, was it was it an easy recipe to follow? It is. It's easy to follow. It just takes some time. So, but it's the best. It's like, I always say it's like the chickeniest chicken that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I like <I'll> that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I typically do not order chicken when I go to restaurants because I feel it's something that I can cook myself and it's not, you know, it's, I'd rather get something, I guess, more seems always more complicated or something that I'm, I wouldn't be as uh, probably as quick to do at home, but, mm-hmm. um, but this, they're famous for it. And it was one of those, like, should I get this? I'm by myself. And I was like, yes, I'm just going to get it. <laughs> there you go. I think it's, I think it's worth it. I think it's a great sort of challenge too, for restaurants to make a really good chicken dish. Yeah, true, true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think everything they do, I mean, I saw the tables around me and not everyone had the chicken and, and everyone was enjoying their meals. And I skipped dessert, but that also also looked delicious. So it's a great spot. It's been around for a long time and they've maintained it. Um, and so, as you know, at that level, even though there's been change in in chefs and, and, and people involved, but... Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that's my experience. And, and as I said, the the Virgin Bloody Mary, yeah, always always a favorite. <laughs> Love it. Hopefully, we can get Seedlip in there. Yeah, yeah. Get get working on that West Coast. Put him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put it put it on one of our other brand ambassadors uh, to do list. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. There you go. Well, I uh, we'll see. We'll see. Keep me posted. <laughs> I will. I will. 
Okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guests are Rani Mazumdar and Chef Chintan Padya. They're the co-owners of Unapologetic Foods, an award-winning restaurant group that is out to redefine Indian food. Their restaurants include Damaka, Sema, Ada, Masa, Wala, and Sons, and the Rowdy Rooster. Um, these guys are so nice and so incredible, and they're just, they've won lot of awards and they're just doing, they keep opening more restaurants. So um, I'm excited for them and can't wait to have them on next week. So Aria, can you please ask a question for Rani and Chintan? Yes. I I would love to know what is their favorite dish to cook for comfort? Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I will find out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like their I'm whole sure menu is something delicious, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's something on their menu. I mean, one of their menus, or maybe it's it's something that's not yet, or maybe. you know, something they just do at home. A secret family recipe, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, good question. <laughs> so great. Well, thank you so much. That's the show. Um, I wish you. All the best with everything you're doing in Chicago and and with Diageo and Seedlip. And I can't wait to see what comes next and hopefully meet you in person next time you're in New York or I'm in Chicago. I would love. Give me a shout when you come to visit. I'll take you out to all of my favorite places. Uh, Thank you. I've been coming for the James Beard Awards, so most likely I'll be there in June. (laughs) Amazing. I hope to see you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I hope to see you too. And thank you again. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it. My guest today has been Aria Achetta. She is an ambassador for Diageo non-elk brands in the central region. You can follow her at Aria Social Club at Diageo and at Diageo Bar AC. And the websites are diageo.com and diageobaracademy.com. Thanks to Diageo Bar Academy always for their support of our show. Follow me on social at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites, BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin Chang Barnum. Thanks to Joanna Garnett-Rapold from Heritage Radio Network. And thanks to Laurel Keith at Diageo. And of course, thanks to Aria again. I am your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.